Good morning to you all once again, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you ever had a property that had a well on it? Oh, look at all these hands. Wow, a lot of hands going up. When we lived in Colorado, we were kind of one, I think, one of the very few people in our neighborhood that actually had a well in our backyard. And we just used it for irrigation. And it was, again, one of these more modern wells that had a pump that went about 100 feet deep. And it brought water up with some pretty good pressure. I was able to just have two zones, one in the front and the back, because it put out that much pressure. We never had the water tested to see if it was safe to drink. We just used it to water the grass and the garden. But it sure was a blessing to have. When everyone else was paying for the city water, we were just paying for the electricity to run the pump. And we could water a lot more often than other people could. But in the house, of course, we just twisted a faucet and we had nice, clean running water whenever we needed it from the city. In some of the more undeveloped areas of the world, wells are still very, very important. Wells are really the source of life for them. Where there's water, there's life. Communities will spring up around a place where there's water available. We see instances in the scriptures where wells are mentioned, sometimes named after someone, usually named after the person who dug it. But they were places where the people gathered to draw from the life-giving water that that well provided. Water is indeed a symbol of life. It was created for us by a loving God. In Genesis chapter 1, we find the creation account. And in verse 2, it tells us that the earth was formless and void, or formless and empty, depending on your translation. It says that darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over what? The waters. The waters. So we see that water was one of the first things that the Lord created for us. Our Lutheran Brethren International Missions has a ministry called Living Waters, in which they come into a community and they help dig deep, safe wells where people there can pump out good, clean water. I think I've shown that video to you in the past. And the reaction of the people to having good, clean, safe water for the first time is simply amazing. The joy on their faces at having that blessing. And it is a blessing for them to be able to come to a single place and have good, clear running water for their families and their livestock. Again, water is a source of life. Without it, we die. Now, you may be wondering why I chose to begin today talking about wells and water. Well, for this morning, I'm taking a quick break from 1 Peter to look at the passage that was on the program for Brian Vigasaw's service last week. Dolores came up to me after the service last week and said, it would be nice for you to preach a message from this passage sometime. It was one of Brian's favorite passages, so I just thought I would take the time to do that this week. And I began by talking about water and wells because one of the verses in this passage states, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So for this morning, we'll be spending our time in the 12th chapter of the book of Isaiah. So I invite you to take your Bibles and please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 12. And I invite you to please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's word. <coughs> it's just six, chapter, six verses long. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it's found on page 492. 
Isaiah 12. In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. And these next two verses were the verses that were on uh, Brian's program. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Oh Lord, this is a, <coughs> a song of praise given right after the, the promises in Isaiah chapter 11. Lord, the, the people were praising you. Isaiah was praising you for, for bringing salvation, for the promise of the Messiah coming one day. Lord, we thank you that salvation comes from you. And as we look at this passage, Lord, help us to understand that. And as always, Lord, I ask that as we look at this passage, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, before we dig into this 12th chapter of Isaiah, I think it's important for us to consider the context in which this chapter is written. Isaiah chapter 11, the previous chapter, gives us a description of a glorious kingdom to come. This passage was written when Israel's earthly kingdom was literally hanging by a thread. This future kingdom would be led by a descendant of Jesse, who was David's father. He will rule the earth in the spirit of the Lord. He will restore righteousness, justice, and peace to the earth. All will live in harmony. All the non-Jewish nations, the Gentiles, will gather under the banner of this promised Messiah, and the Lord will bring back his Israelite people to their land from the four corners of the earth. Isaiah describes a future leader who will be raised up from the line of Jesse and King David. And this leader will be a man, and yet he will be much more than just a man. He will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of the Lord, to lead with wisdom and might and knowledge. And he will restore justice, and he will bring peace to the world, ending all conflict. The Jewish nations of the earth will come to him, He will reassemble the scattered Israelites, and this reunited nation will have final victory over their enemies under his righteous rule. That's chapter 11. And in response to that promise of the Lord in chapter 11, we get this inspiring song of praise written in Isaiah 12. And Isaiah begins by saying, In that day you will say, So Isaiah is referring to the day when the promise of chapter 11 is fulfilled. When this righteous king will come to rule, when he will gather his people once again to be his people and accomplish his will. 
In that day, Isaiah says, you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has been turned away and you have comforted me. We know that in Israel's past, they turned away from the Lord many times. Because of their lack of faith and their disobedience, the Lord's anger had burned against them and they had been carried off into exile. But he had also promised to bring them back after some time had passed, and he did just that. Isaiah is one of the Lord's prophets, and so what he writes is considered prophecy. And as with much of prophecy, this passage deals with the time in which it was written that the Lord would turn his anger away from his people and would bring them back, and he did. But it also points to a time in the future when the Lord would turn his anger away from his people one more time when he sends the promised Messiah to his people to save them from their sins. And that's the context in which I want to focus on this morning. Because anyone who has had their sins forgiven by God through faith in Jesus Christ can say this same thing. I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has been turned away, and you have comforted me. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Looking to the future, Isaiah sees the day that God will lead his people out of their bondage to sin and death. He tells us that God will turn his anger away from us. That day, of course, was Good Friday. This was the day when God turned his anger over sin away from us and placed it all onto his one and only Son. God became our salvation by, first of all, living that perfect life in Jesus that you and I could never live, and then by dying an innocent death on the cross for our sins. Because when Jesus was placed on the cross, he took your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world, past, present, and future upon himself, so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we could be made right with God once again. And that should be a comforting thought for anyone who has had their sins forgiven. God's anger over our sin has been taken away. It was directed instead on God's own son, Jesus, as he was nailed to the cross for us. And the Bible talks of God as a God of comfort in many other places as well. Listen to Paul's words from the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. God has brought us comfort in another way as well. It's interesting that Larry chose the song that that he chose to sing today because Jesus introduces the coming of the Holy Spirit to his disciples in that chapter, John chapter 14, that that song came out of. And when he does that, he uses a word in the Greek that speaks of the Holy Spirit as our comforter. And that word, if you're familiar with it, is the word paraclete. And it's not what you put on your feet when you're going to go play football or soccer. It's not a paraclete. It's a Greek word, paraclete. And it has the meaning of 
one who is called to come alongside of, or one who intercedes on our behalf. Jesus was telling his disciples that after he left, he would send one who would bring them comfort because they would need the comfort of God moving moving forward in their lives just as we still need the comfort of God today. Isaiah even opened up chapter 40 of his book with the words, Comfort, comfort my people. And in that chapter, he goes on to tell of the one who would come before the Messiah to prepare the way for him to come. Knowing what God has done for us comforts us and allows us to agree with Isaiah when he says that surely, surely God is my salvation. Could there be a greater truth ever spoken? Surely God is my salvation. If there is any salvation to be found, it must be found in God. I want you to consider two facts about this truth with me. First, God is the originator of salvation. It is his plan from the start. Mankind could never design a plan of salvation that could take care of the problem of sin for all of eternity. It is just not in us to do that. God is the great architect behind the plan of salvation. He is the one who designed it. He is its originator. When it comes to salvation, we must put all of the emphasis on God because we can do nothing to save ourselves. Not only is he the originator of salvation, but secondly, he is the orchestrator of salvation. He is the one who directs the process. Man would never come to God on his own. The Bible makes that very clear. The Bible teaches us very emphatically in Romans 3.11 that there is no one righteous, there is not even one, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. So with this truth in mind, we can only come to one conclusion. God must be the divine orchestrator behind salvation. Without him, there would be no salvation for our sinful souls. When Isaiah wrote these words, God is my salvation, with that word salvation, he was literally saying, God is my Joshua, Or as the Greek translation would be, God is my Yeshua. That is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua that literally means Jehovah saves or the Lord is my salvation. Peter put it this way. He said, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So we can agree with Isaiah when he writes, God is my salvation. He goes on and he says that he will trust and not be afraid. This is another thought that's found actually in many, many places in Scripture as well. For me, I think the greatest example of this is found in Psalm 27, where David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold or the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Hebrews 13.6, the writer says, So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. For what can man do to me? 
And in Romans 8.31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? What do we have to be afraid of? Death? No, we no longer fear death because Christ has already defeated death and the grave for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is one of the, the greatest chapters on the resurrection, the Apostle Paul is quoting both Isaiah and Hosea, and he writes these words. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Then he asks two questions. He asks, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Paul goes on to say that the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But then he says this. He says, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you... It's um, 1 Corinthians 15. I didn't give you the reference. It's down toward the end of the chapter. Sorry. Yep. So when Paul says that, when he says that, what is he really saying? He's saying, just as Isaiah said, surely God is my salvation, so I will trust and I will not be afraid. Can you say that in your life today? Can you go through life without fear because the Lord is your salvation? This was one of Brian Vigasaw's favorite passages, and he found strength and comfort in knowing that the Lord was his salvation. Isaiah goes on to say that the Lord is his strength and his song. Do you need strength in your life today? Do you need a new song to sing? Isaiah says that you can find both in the salvation of the Lord. Going back to Psalm 27 really quick, David had said that the Lord is the stronghold or the strength of his life. Back to Isaiah 40, where Isaiah tells us that the Lord gives strength to the weary and increases his power to the weak. How about in Philippians 4.13, where Paul says that we can do all things through Christ who what? Gives us strength or strengthens us, yes. If you need strength for anything in life, Turn to the Lord for the strength that only he can provide and then step out in faith, trusting that the Lord is with you. And because he is your salvation, he will give you what you need to get through. This was true for Brian, especially during the last few months of his life. He knew that the Lord was his strength and his salvation, and he rested in that faith each and every day. Isaiah tells us that not only is the Lord his strength, but the Lord is also his song. How many, how many of you like to sing? A lot of hands going up. Now let me ask, how many of you would volunteer to come up here on a Sunday and sing a solo to the Lord? Not as many hands going up. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> Psalm 96 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. This next passage came up in our Bible study this morning. In Acts chapter 16, we find Paul and Silas in jail. What do we find them doing around midnight? 
They're singing hymns to God. And as they sang, the Lord came and opened up all the prison doors and freed them from their shackles. But Paul and Silas didn't try to escape. No, instead they stayed there. And because they did, they had the opportunity to lead the jailer and his whole family to faith in Christ, baptizing them in the name of Christ. Psalm 147.1, which we read together this morning, says, Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God and how pleasant and fitting to praise him. This is one of the reasons why we sing praise choruses and hymns each Sunday, because the Lord is our strength and he is our song and it is good and it is fitting to praise him. As most of you know, Brian loved music. Music was really his whole life. And as time went on, and he could no longer play, and then in his last days could no longer sing, he rested in the fact that the Lord was his song, and that the Lord had become his salvation. Isaiah goes on to mention what I talked about earlier when he says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The climate in and around Israel is a very dry, arid climate, Water there was an extremely valuable commodity. Without water, the crops won't grow, and people and livestock will eventually get dehydrated and die. If you remember from our study on Moses last year, there were a number of times when the people came to a place where there was no clean water to drink. One of those times, God cleansed the water for them and made it sweet. Two other times, the Lord brought water for the people out of a rock, something only he could do to show his power and his provision for his people. And just as thirsty people rejoice in God's provision of physical water, so it is with joy that we draw water from the Lord's blessed spiritual springs of salvation. In John chapter 7, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles, Part of that celebration of that feast is what's known as the Festival of the Water Libation. In this, the priests would go down with the people to a spring that flowed below the temple. And he would take a golden flask and he would fill it with that pure spring water that was found there. Then they would all ascend back up to the temple singing and celebrating and they would enter back in through what was known as the Water Gate. This is not the water gate of the 70s. This is the water gate of the temple. And as they entered that gate, they were greeted with the sound of trumpets and singing and celebrating. And the the priest would then ascend up to the altar and he would pour out that water on the altar as an offering to the Lord. And it would symbolize the Lord's cleansing power in their lives. It was during this feast that Jesus stood up and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. In fact, one of the verses that's quoted during this festival comes right out of our passage for today because they would quote, with joy will you draw water from the wells of salvation. Now, when I think of the words well and salvation, my mind always goes back to that scene in John chapter 4 
where Jesus speaks with the Samaritan woman who had come to draw water from a well that Jesus was resting by. Now remember that Jews and Samaritans uh, didn't really associate together, especially not a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. They would never speak in public like this. But Jesus used this opportunity with the topic of water to tell her about the living water that he would provide if she believed in him. He would give her living water that would become in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So there was the well there where natural water could be drawn from. But Jesus, very possibly thinking on this passage from Isaiah, shared with her about drawing water from the well of salvation that only comes through faith in him. And we know from that passage that through his conversation with her, And through her subsequent faith, that many in her village came to faith in Jesus as well. And that brings us to the next portion of our passage, where Isaiah writes, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, and then what? Make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. What did the woman at the well do after Jesus shared with her? She went back to her village and she shared with everyone there what Jesus had shared with her. She made known among her nation what the Lord had done for her. The praise of God should never be kept secret. Individual believers like us need to share what we know about the Lord. We share about what the Lord has done for us. When people know about something good, They have a hard time keeping it to themselves, don't they? Children might rush home from school to show mom and dad that that, that perfect score on a test or maybe that A they got on their report card. Husbands or wives rush home to tell their spouse about the promotion or the raise in pay that the boss gave them. We tell others about a good doctor or where we can get the best deal on a new car. We even tell our friends and neighbors, maybe even about a movie that we saw that was really good, or maybe what the best place in town to get a donut is. Had to throw that in. We'll talk later. (laughs) How much more? Using one of Jesus' phrases, how much more? One of Paul's phrases, how much more? Should we tell everyone about God and what he has done for us? We are called to make this known to all the world. Whether or not we share the good news of what God has done, it really isn't our choice because we've been given a command by God to go and make known what he has done. At the end of the the Gospel of Matthew, I'm sorry, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And that is a command if you look in the original Greek. But then Jesus throws in the comfort part at the end as well, doesn't he? He says, for surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And that is a comforting thought, isn't it? That no matter what we may be going through, the Lord is with us. When Brian was going through his journey with cancer, he found comfort in the fact 
that the Lord was walking with him each and every day. As we move on to verse 5, Isaiah brings us Uh, brings up, I'm sorry, the topic of singing once again. He says, sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. And again, he says, let this be known to all the world. What glorious thing has the Lord done for us? He saved us from our sin. We've had our thirst for God quenched because we drink from the well of salvation that is only found through faith in Jesus. And this is not something that we just keep to ourselves. We are, to be let, we are to let this be known to all the world. Has the Lord saved you? Then shout it out to all the world so they can all hear the message that the Lord is your strength, the Lord is your song, and that he has become your salvation. Verse 6 brings us back to that day that Isaiah was writing about, that day when we can say with confidence that the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, is among us, and he is indeed great. Back in verse 4, Isaiah said that his name was to be exalted. In Philippians chapter 2, we see the Apostle Paul once again speaking about Jesus. And he says that God has exalted Jesus to the highest place and has given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're to share that message with everyone, the message of the gospel that through faith in Jesus, everyone can agree with Isaiah and say, surely God is my salvation, so I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Do you believe that? Can you say it yourself? Can you shout it out so that everyone in your life knows where you stand with the Lord? Do you have peace in your life because the Lord has turned his anger away from you and has placed it on his son so that on the cross your sins were atoned for. You were forgiven through faith, and you can now have peace with God. Has your thirst for God been quenched through the wells of salvation? In some ways I hope it hasn't been quenched, because it never should be totally quenched. Your thirst for forgiveness and atonement has been quenched, but our thirst for God himself is an everyday thirst that causes us to to draw near once again to the living water that flows from Jesus to each and every one of us. And as Jesus promised us back in John chapter 7, that same living water will flow from within us so that others can see where their thirst can be quenched as well. Brian understood this. And that's why this was his favorite passage. My hope and my prayer is that each one here today understands this message as well. And that you can say with confidence, that you can boldly say, like Brian did, that the Lord is your salvation. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, you are our strength and our song and you are our salvation. 
Salvation is only found in you. And I thank you for that, Lord, because if I tried to come up with a plan, it would be so, so insufficient. Thank you for the sufficiency of your grace. Thank you for your wonderful love for us. Thank you for the provision for our needs. Thank you that we can have peace in our lives, that we can trust and not be afraid because you are indeed our salvation. May we rest, Lord, in that today with the hope that one day we will be with you one day in heaven and enjoy our eternal rest with you there. Thank you that you are our salvation. I give you praise and thanks and glory, all in the name of Jesus. Amen.